Thanks for joining us. Today we're going to be interviewing Rob Viglioni, the founder and president of Zen Horizon. Today we're going to be asking Rob a bunch of questions about what's going on at Horizon, where they're going, what's going on with their roadmap, and uh, diving into issues like their recent 51% attack on their network. I'm very excited to present this uh, episode to you, and uh, I hope you can find some value in learning a little about what we've discovered. Okay, um, so I have with me here today uh, Rob Viglioni. Is that how I pronounce your last name? It is. Fantastic, yeah. fantastic. Exactly. And uh, Rob, you are the president and co-founder of Horizon. Correct. Yes. Fantastic. So I'm excited to have you on the podcast um, to chat a little bit about what uh, you have going on and uh, where Zen is now going. My understanding is that Horizon is a brand expansion for, for Zen. That's exactly right. Yeah. So we started off as Zen Cash. Uh, and then what we did was we were kind of expanding so rapidly as a project into different areas than just currency. So we dropped the cash. Uh, the coin is just, just called Zen. The ticker symbol is still Z-E-N. But the broader project, the platform, is called Horizon. Yeah. So uh, my understanding of, of Zen is that it's a, a fork from uh, Z Classic originally, which was a fork from Zen Cash. Um, but it looks like you've taken a lot of the communities from those original coins with you. Is that a fair assessment? Well, at least from Z Classic. So Z Classic is kind of a dead project. Um, so we pulled a good chunk of the Z Classic community away. Um, there, there are differences between the, you know, the, the Z Cash and the, the Horizon communities. I mean, Z Cash is focusing purely on being uh, a very anonymous or private cryptocurrency. Our, our, you know, our vision, our mission, our project is quite different. So, you, you know, there's certainly overlap because of the privacy elements, but um, definitely some non-interacting elements as well. Fantastic. And so what got you involved in crypto? Uh, so I, I, I got involved personally just from a, a libertarian perspective of loving the concept of separating money from state. Um, so my first engagement in crypto was when I was actually um, in Afghanistan um, doing some work out there. And I started putting together some seminars uh, for you know local groups out there kind of explaining the technology, teaching them what it's all about and how to use the tech. Um, so from there, I actually went back for my PhD, and then I started doing some of my PhD research in crypto finance. Fantastic. Well, there's a lot to unpack there. So um, what is your PhD in specifically? Finance. Okay. And yeah. um, what put you in Afghanistan, if you don't mind me asking? So I was doing um, military intelligence work, um, initially a counter IED mission. Uh, and then that expanded um, as I joined different units and started doing different types of intelligence work. Very good. So um, how involved were you with the Z Classic community before um, this fork happened with Zen? Quite involved. So I was part of the core team. Um, there were uh, about a dozen of us total on the core team. I was one of them. Yeah. I've, I've heard a lot of uh, rumor and speculation of uh, some of the founders or participants involved with Z Classic that have gone on to uh, spin a bunch of other projects. Um, I think there's some um, some bad mojo in the crypto community with some of the original developers of Zen Classic. Uh, I think Rhett may not have the most fantastic reputation for basically getting started with uh, projects and, and dumping them. Uh, does he have any involvement with uh, with Zen? Not whatsoever. No, it, it's kind of weird. He's he's come out publicly um, a few times recently saying that he's he's kind of like a founding member of Zen and wow. you know, he has some involvement, which is kind of ridiculous. Uh, he's had zero involvement, has no clue what we're doing on the project. Um, but yeah, I, I have no idea what his motives and intentions are. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we, we certainly have no, no part in any of that. 
Yeah, absolutely. So um, you, you got into crypto for uh, you know a libertarian perspective. Are you uh, looking and hoping that crypto becomes you know the the future of money, or is, do you think it, uh, it it's going to fill a particular need in finance? Yeah, I mean much more beyond, uh, much further beyond money. Uh, my my hope is the technology is a huge deliberating tool or tool set uh, across a bunch of different domains. So things in terms of like distributed governance. I think we could do a better job with governance and think about governance as a service and how to provide this in you know, a freer, more egalitarian uh, model. Uh, I think in the currency domain, for sure, it's, it's excellent to be able to now, instead of having, I don't know, a, a dozen or so popular currencies around the world controlled by a dozen central banks, to have a thousand competing ones that compete in different dimensions to see maybe there's other elements of currency that haven't been thought of or haven't been experimented with. Uh, but then you know you can think about like the way we focus is on data privacy. So for us, it's it's more about we're, we've really migrated from being a, a crypto like a private cryptocurrency to be more about a, a privacy platform for individual or consumer data. And I think this is really the sweet spot of being able to upend you know kind of invert the current media models where so much of what we do, like a particular digital footprint across across domains, you know like even like. The data coming off of our cell phones is just is is not owned by us, and it's you know monetized and harvested by other companies. I think we could do better. Um, you know, not that there's anything necessarily wrong with with the entire business models of the the modern world, but I think that we can carve out functions of it in ways that really empower individuals. So that's what I'm most excited about. Hey, Rob, this is uh, Sevi here. Um, just a quick question on that point. Um, do you see those uh, ideals uh, you were just talking about at odds at all with uh, the uh, the Dow behind uh, Horizon and the trust you guys have set up? Uh, no, n not at all. In fact, I think the Dow is a, a great leap forward in that direction. I mean, we're essentially trying to democratize our resource pool. Uh, right now, it's not. Right now, the way we're structured is we have a nonprofit um, foundation and the foundation controls the resources of the community. Um, and they put our, their trust in us, we have fiduciary responsibility to them. But what we really want to do is democratize it and push it out so that every coin holder um, has a, a direct say in where we go as a project. How would you respond to um, those libertarians that are part of your user base or part of the, the crypto user space that would suggest that that is just trading one centralization force for another? I don't see how a DAO would be a, a force of centralization. I mean, the whole function of it is to decentralize. Now, of course, we could think about different voting mechanisms, like and think about the mechanism design more deeply. Um, but I think the mechanism design that we chose is fairly robust from a game theoretic perspective to make sure that the system, I mean, like our big goal is to make sure it can't be captured by like a, a particular stakeholder group or maybe a set of stakeholders or minority. Of course, it's always a risk. And you know, I won't go out there and claim that this is a perfect um, example of you know a liquid democracy, but for us we're, we're thinking it's a great leap forward, and from sure. here we hope that there'll be a lot of experimentation. And even our approach is more empirical. So you know we're we're going to be collecting data and getting feedback from how things start operating when it, we hit production with the software. And if if we see that there's some aberrations or things that are going in different directions, we still reserve the right until we do a full unroll of it um, to you know clean it up, maybe pivot in different directions. Yeah. So you mentioned, you know, the mechanism of design for for this DAO and this um, uh, decentralized organization that's going to be um, autonomous organization that's going to be basically helping with governance. Someone has to set that up, right? I mean, mm -hmm. the not everyone's going to have a true democratic say in how that operates or how it functions. 
Um, right. You know, the concern that I would see from from my perspective, I consider myself a bit of a, an ICO minimalist, maybe not a Bitcoin maximalist. But yeah. the thing that Bitcoin has that is so advantageous is that the the entire network structure is designed to be resistant to change. People don't want change. They're, it's right. very difficult to, to implement change. And it takes a tremendous amount of effort to convince nodes to do anything. Um, right. and, and when you do, you end up likely with a fork because people are just so skeptical of any change. Uh, right. For me, that is, I think, the best example of what hard money is and what it should be, but also an excellent example of what decentralization is. You know, setting up a DAO means someone actually has to physically create the mechanisms and design those mechanisms uh, so people can vote and implement and, and interact with the community. The community, the community can interact. Um, doesn't, that, doesn't that raise some centralization concerns in some regard? Yeah, no, I, I see exactly where you're going. So the the stickiness that Bitcoin has, I think, is a great feature. Sure. Uh, I don't think it's the only feature, though, that yeah. we should think about in terms of experimentation. So what I love about the whole altcoin boom is that we're essentially teasing apart maybe, I don't know, dozens of different dimensions of what might be important for these types of projects, even in terms of like what functionality of what the projects are trying to achieve, missions, goals even just rotating different teams in there to see if different people can do things differently. And then we start experimenting, kind of permuting each of the dimensions of technology. I think this is a great thing. Now, I, I think that there's a huge feature of Bitcoin being very sticky, but it's also a flaw uh, because, you know, society, I, I, I argue that society is better off with as much experimentation as possible, as long as it's done in a safe and, you know, relatively, um, relatively harmless way. So what I love about this industry is that it's all opt-in what I don't love about it is <laughs> there's so point. much information asymmetry um, it, where people can come in here and because it's an unregulated environment, um, people do scam. You know, there's a lot of scams out there and there's, there's even just a lot of people that, you know, launch an ICO or launch a project and they have the best intentions, you know, in the world in mind, but they just fail and they, maybe they misrepresent themselves to their stakeholders. Who knows? There's a lot of room for error, but I think in, in aggregate, we're, this is a really good thing for society, what we're doing. Okay. So um, this, uh, you know, th there's there's a lot that's sticky about Bitcoin, and I think I agree with that sentiment. But, you know, what Bitcoin is and what it's attempting to be is simply, you know, a modicum of exchange, uh, act as mm -hmm. a, a true hard currency. You know, I don't think that at its core, uh, people are, are being are getting involved with Bitcoin to expand a platform. Right. I, I think Agreed. that there is value in Bitcoin because it is hard, sound money. I guess the point I'm trying to make is that there is a lot of people that have bought into Bitcoin as a hard and sound currency, and simply for that fact, uh, you know, when people get involved in Zencash and um, and and services like Zencash, I guess they're looking for privacy. Um, how do you reconcile the fact that um, only five percent of transactions are being utilized with Z addresses and are shielded transactions on things like Zcash? And I'm sure mm -hmm. uh, that if we looked at Zencash's data we'd see that so few of the transactions are shielded. Um, if privacy is the core foundation of this platform, why is this not defaulted as a as, as the default way the transactions are being sent, um, if, if that's what it's being utilized for or allegedly being utilized for? Yeah, actually, that's a great, a great question. So for me, privacy is just one of our value propositions. And we're doing a whole lot of things for which uh, privacy may not be applicable. So for instance, we, we really wanted to have this bifurcated transaction type where you can have transparent types of transactions that are normal Bitcoin-like and then also 
shielded or private transactions because there's a lot of economic activity that goes on that you need transparency for. And we didn't want to exclude this from our system. So all we want to do is offer an opt-in type of privacy, but not necessarily make it you know, mandatory in everything we do. Um, so for instance, like where, where I view us going with privacy is not necessarily, you know, I mean, sure, we have shielded transaction types for exchanging value, but really what I'm most excited about is building out the app ecosystem and using the, the zero knowledge type of cryptography that we have to preserve consumer data in a much more safe and secure way that we can decentralize. This is the future of where you know, I think we're going as a project, uh, at least my vision of it, and we'll see you know, how the community evolves, especially as we enroll the DAO. Um, but so privacy could be part of our core tech, but still not be the only value proposition that people are looking for. Yeah, the, uh, the one issue I would have with that is uh, when you, whenever you talk about consumer data and also optional privacy, um, you see this a lot in like Facebook or uh, Gmail will, where its own users will give access to all sorts of third-party apps. And yep. because they are not doing the work to fully vet those, they don't understand what's happening behind the scenes. The second mm -hmm. you make that uh, an optional feature for them to be able to know what's happening with their data and is it actually protected or not, um, I think you see a lot of the times consumers aren't up to that task. Yeah, you know, so I mean, we, we've debated this quite in, quite intensely, and we we could force privacy on everyone. Um, I, I just don't. That's not necessarily our aim. So I think it's great that there's projects out there that do it because clearly, if you force privacy into everything and there's just no option to opt out of privacy, you have a much stronger privacy set. Uh, for your, your entire system is you know has stronger privacy because even the way that our technology works is the privacy set that we have is only as strong as the, the note commitments that are added to it or by no commitment, I mean every transaction that, you know, chooses to opt for this additional privacy. So, ultimately, you know, really we would be much more private and secure if every single transaction were added to the no commitment set, but we just chose a different business model. And I don't think that there's necessarily, it's not like a binary thing where one's, one's right, one's wrong. It's more like we're carving out a different part of the product or consumer space. Yeah, I think that's a that's an interesting point. Um, I, I want to jump back to something you said a, a, a minute ago in regard to the nonprofit foundation that's been operated for Zen uh, under, I think it's under Horizon. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah, so Horizon is the platform. And then actually our nonprofit's called uh, Zen Blockchain Foundation. Very good. Um, you mentioned something about the foundation owing or having some kind of fiduciary relationship to the user base mm -hmm. or to, um, to the chain in some manner. Can you expand um, what you meant by that? Yeah, yeah, of course. So I, you know, clearly I, I'm not a lawyer. Um, we probably should have had our, our general counsel on for these types of nuanced questions. The, the way that I look at it, though, is the way we set this up with an initial condition that we have a nonprofit foundation and we have a part of the block rewards that goes into our treasury pool that is controlled by the nonprofit foundation. Um, so the way I view fiduciary responsibility, and again, from a non-legal perspective, is we have an ethical, a business, a, you know, whatever type of mandate you can say to make sure that we have the best interests of all of our stakeholders in mind for the broader system. So as we make decisions, essentially what we did with, with the, the treasury pool is we formed, um, you know, uh, essentially a team and, and we have, you know, our engineers on the team, our business development, our marketers and so forth, researchers, accountants and all that. Um, and then we have R and D, R and D contracts that we let, we have marketing contracts, PR contracts, all of this stuff we, we do with, what we consider to be or, uh, the best interest of the community, the best interest of the project. Now, of course, it's not perfect. And of course, 
interests are very heterogeneous, right, or heterogeneous. Uh, so they, they vary quite significantly. We think that on, you know, towards the mean of what the, the average stakeholder is looking for for us to do, we're, we're doing a pretty good job. Now, of course, people can opt in by basically buying or selling their Zen is the way that they opt into the ecosystem. Sure. So it is purely voluntary. Yeah. So I, I would say that just, you know, by that definition, you know, the community is, you know, de facto supportive of what we're doing. Um, and, and if they're not, they have the ability to sell their Zen and, and opt exit, out. Yeah. So uh, yeah. is the community, uh, the Zen community looking towards the foundation to uh, be a voice in, in, in Washington or in any states as, as regulation starts looking like, no pun intended here, it starts looking like it's on the horizon. Um, <laughs> yeah. So we, we actually do uh, are members of the um, Digital Chamber of Commerce, which is the Lyme group that we're, we're you know, supporting. Okay, and and what is your involvement with them? Uh, so we we're uh, I forgot what what our relationship is called. We're maybe president members of the the association there. So we're one of the, the organizations that supports the the association, and um, you know we we give our inputs for the types of things that we're interested in. Obviously, like privacy um, and the the right to privacy is something that we say that we want the organization to advocate for. Uh, and then there's kind of in the reverse flow, they give us like education on the regulatory environment so that sure. we can better you know, navigate ourselves. In fact, uh, complying with regulation, particularly because we're a U.S. corporation or nonprofit corporation, is very important to us. We need to make sure that we're doing everything above board as much as possible. So we're always trying to like iterate. In fact, we just recently went through an iteration where we, we – you know, we we have we work with different law, law firms. Uh, one of them is called Cogent Law out of DC, and we just had them you know investigate our project and give uh, an opinion letter on whether or not they consider us a security. Um, you know, there's a lot of projects that do this, and the, the impetus is really well. Number one, we want to avoid any um, you know um, punitive regulation because we don't want to behave in a way that we just don't realize we're behaving incorrectly. Uh, we don't think we are, but every now and then we want to do kind of an audit to make sure that we're not. Yeah, I think due um, diligence um, is, yeah, exactly. is a fantastic exactly. thing to do. So, what yeah. is the uh, what is the outcome of that letter? Um, are you allowed to share that? Um, yeah, I mean the the outcome is that we're not a security according to their opinion. Um, but so it's, at, at the at the end of the day, it's not their opinion that matters. It would be the SEC exactly. that uh, exactly. Yeah. And that's why you have a lawyer, right? I mean, you you want to cover your bases as best you can without having exactly. to uh, get thrown in front of the feds. Um, right, exactly. So, I mean, and, and from my perspective, is we want to do everything right that we can. It's just that sometimes it's hard to know what, what the right course of action is. So that's why we hire lawyers, and we want them to help guide us. Absolutely. So, um, you know, I, I find it, uh, and, and Rob, uh, don't, don't take this the wrong way. I, I find this uh, somewhat ironic that you've got a – um, self-claimed libertarian and a bunch of uh, privacy-concerned individuals buying into Zencash that are organizing and are structuring foundations to advocate and getting involved in chambers of commerce to uh, influence uh, federal regulation. That seems very uh, counterintuitive, personally. Yeah, no, I get it because I, I'm I'm philosophically um, a libertarian anarchist, right? So for me, the the ideal philosophy to me is libertarian anarchy. Um, but I acknowledge we live in a world that is not that. So we have to comply with the world we live in and just, you know, acknowledge the reality and try to do the best we can within it. Yeah, I think that makes you a realist. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But that's the difference between like philosophical ideal versus, you know, the way we behave on a daily basis. Right. So 
Absolutely. I believe in freedom and peace and prosperity and all this stuff. Like who wouldn't? But at the same time, we, we have these real world constraints under, you know, within which we need to operate. So how, how does the community, um, what is the community's position? And and I don't know how much involvement you have with your your day-to-day uh, -day community users that are on your Discord or on your Slack. Um, what is what is the sentiment towards um, their desire to want to use Zen and their um, willingness to want to cooperate with federal and state tax law? Do you have an opinion or a thought as to what uh, your user base may be thinking towards that issue? So in terms of tax law, I really have no idea. In terms of regulation in general, I think the community wants us to be I mean, this is my sentiment from what I take from it. Sure. I can't speak for everyone. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but the sentiment that I get is that um, the community wants us to be above board so that we don't you know, get into any troubles. Like we're, we're hoping to be a trillion-dollar enterprise or a multi-trillion-dollar enterprise. We're not hoping to operate like in the shadows and dark markets. So that's, that's the direction we're going. So I, I think, I hope I'm echoing the community sentiment with we want to play ball, right? We, we just want, like, my... my thing is I want to educate regulators so they understand what we're doing and we can all you know create a win-win scenario here so we can create value for society without being kind of unnecessarily encumbered with regulations that maybe the regulators themselves don't really understand what we're doing or what the tech is so that's that's the big thing for me it's more of an educational process so educating regulators um, I take that that's not just in the US now that you're living in Milan Correct. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. Now, I, I will say we have not yet engaged uh, the Italian government in any way. So we, we really have no idea what the sentiment it is here. We don't have an Italian law, you know, law firm yet. Um, we, we are just technically a U.S. firm operating in Italy. Um, so that whether that changes in the near future, when we have to engage other governments for, for uh, the regulatory sentiment is TBD right now. But for sure, I would say the vision is we, we absolutely have to and want to. Uh, we're, we're still a very small organization. We're, sure. you know, let's keep it in perspective. We're a small business. Our resources are very limited. Well, not of uh, not of Bitcoin and and Zen Moon here. Um, you're not going to be small <laughs> for much longer, right? Uh, let's let's, uh, let's take that realism, and I'll I'll bring some of my optimism. Um, <laughs> thank you. But thank you. Uh, let let me uh, let me change gears here for a second um, on on to some uh, slightly pessimistic, some bad news. Uh, I'd seen. Um, uh, a couple a couple months ago that zen had uh, suffered a 51 percent attack um mm -hmm. you know you've got this foundation you you currently have a significant amount of centralized control um mm -hmm. that is around this foundation um and it, it looks to be almost like three hundred thousand us dollars of of zen were were compromised or stolen mm -hmm. in this 51 percent attack um first do you know who that was stolen from uh, yes, it was stolen from one of our exchange partners. Gotcha. Um, so yeah, that's that's the thing with these fifty-one percent of taxes. They're always geared at basically being exchange heists. Yeah, for the honeypots. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And um, you know, it being being that you know, this, there's a there's a significant amount of well, I would say a significant amount of centralization at the foundation level. Um, have have you folks considered or consulted any attorneys about what liability you may have or may face in the future by not implementing any protection against 51% attacks or not having implemented that protection yet if there's a subsequent attack? Uh, so no, we haven't in terms of not implementing because we are implementing protections. So immediately we implemented uh, protections. Okay. Um, what what the, protections did you implement if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, so the only, the only tool we had at our disposal initially was was recommending that our exchange partners increase the minimum block confirmations yeah. before they actually release funds. Um, going forward, though, we actually engineered what I think is a very sophisticated solution to make this 
kind of an issue of the past. Give us a scoop. Um, What's that? I'm, I'm super intrigued by this because I saw uh, that you had done some kind of community broadcast, uh, I think yesterday or mm -hmm. day before yesterday, and uh, you had alluded to that uh, on YouTube, and I, I was terribly yeah. intrigued by it. Yeah, so we have a, a white paper out there that shows you the technical specification. If, if any of your, your you know, listeners are interested in learning the mechanics, but essentially we created a penalty mechanism. So the way 51% attacks happen is um, so some nefarious miner will, will mine a whole sequence of blocks in private that basically invalidates some other deposit to an exchange, for instance, and do, it, they execute a double spend. But the mechanism is by mining in private and not reporting the blocks that is found to the, to the network. Um, so what we did was a really simple penalty mechanism. You, if you delay reporting of a block, that block is assessed a penalty, and the penalty is is um, in proportion to its distance to the block height or the current block on the chain. Um, so it's real, it's a real simple mechanism. But basically, if a nefarious miner tries doing the same thing again, they're going to inject or report a whole sequence of blocks that are assessed a massive penalty and would never be accepted as truth by the chain. So, so it's, doesn't yeah. that create a massive problem? And and this just jumps to mind. I had seen a, um, a, a news article from a Google executive, uh, I think it was yesterday actually, saying that they're fully expecting the internet to bifurcate uh, in the next <laughs> 10 years. So actually, no, that, that actually was, so as we designed this, our, our th this was our, our primary concern that we, we mitigate it. And the way we mitigate it is the algorithm that we use for the penalty has a decrement function as well. So you could inject, so if you, if a network bifurcates or segregates in some fashion and you have honest miners in each segment of the network and, and then they recombine, yes, each network, you know, each, each of these, you know, chains will think that the other chain has some penalty, sure. but as, after they're, they've been recombined and honest miners continue mining, there's a decrement mechanism so that the penalty gets decreased over time to the point where there is a merge again. So we've been testing this robustly. Actually, this code is live on our public testnet, and we've run a, a variety of vignettes exactly like this. Hmm. And in each of the vignettes, they've they've um, merged back successfully. So doesn't that, if in the event that there's an issue, doesn't that impose a penalty even on people that are not malicious miners? Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it would. But what we built into the algorithm is kind of a grace period. So if you're one or two blocks behind, you're, you're not going to be assessed a penalty. It's for those that are just very clearly, there's no reason that, that like, for instance, there's no reason you should be more than four blocks behind yeah. in your report. And, and there's and not. Your block yeah. block times are two and a half minutes with Zen, if I'm not mistaken. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do you yep. think that's a function of, um, of part of the issue is that the, the block times are so, uh, so narrow? Um, I mean, so what narrow block times does is it could be it could cause more uncles or orphan blocks. Sure. Uh, we we don't see a significant problem. We never have had a significant problem in that. So it, it's two and a half minutes really isn't that bad. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I guess I, I don't want to harp on this 51% attack because I think you guys have got a lot going on and a lot of other positive things that I'd like to explore as well. Um, sure. But, uh, you know, why do you think they they uh, there was a 51% attack on the Zen network as opposed to Zcash or Dash or something else? Yeah, I mean, it's a function of, so our value shot up um, quite significantly very quickly because we had a, a listing on Binance. And after the listing of Binance, our, our value shot up. So now... You had uh, just the, the bigger target spot. on your back. Yeah, exactly. A big target on our back. We we were all of a sudden much more popular. The value went up, and the mining hash rate had jumped up, you know, commiserately. So I think this just caused a perfect kind of perfect storm for us, where we we're just in, in the radar. 
Yeah. So um, I, there's been a lot of talk about the the distinctions uh, that ZK Snarks and something like Ring CT that's used in Monero um, offer. What made you folks decide to stick with ZK Snarks? And I understand this is a fork from Z Classic, so I mean it's kind of inherent that you're going to be using ZK Snarks. But why ZK Snarks over Ring CT, or do you see them as being comparable technologies? No, I mean from the user's perspective, they're comparable. Now academics could debate about you know the the nuances and whether or not the outcomes for being able to tease apart transactions or correlate them, or, you know, from one to the other is different. Um, from but a practical, you know, everyday perspective, there really is not that much of a difference in terms of outcomes and you know, obfuscation, which is what we're going for, right, with this type of technology. But what we thought was zero knowledge has a much more promising future in the sense that it really is a zero knowledge system means, you know, implies that zero um, information about transactions are being revealed to the network. Now, of course, it's very clunky and we realize this. So it's we, we adopted a very clunky technology. It takes about 30 seconds for a standard, um, you know, laptop to process a, you know, a snark transaction or computation. So we, we knew it was clunky, but we also knew that the technology, um, you know, the direction of technology is always to decrease, um, you know, computational burdens. And this is exactly what we're seeing in the industry. So Zcash right now is working on the next sampling upgrade, which is a, a massive you know, decrease in computation requirements. So this, this is why we did it, was we adopted something that we knew that over time would mature, but it was best in class in terms of obfuscating technology. So um, bear with me here for a second. I know that Sevi's got a ton of questions that, uh, for, for you about ZenChat and, and ZenHide and a couple of the other yeah. projects that you've, uh, and he's been waiting so patiently for me to hush my <laughs> damn mouth. Um, sure. But uh, you know, you're saying that, that ZK Snox takes about 30 seconds on a regular laptop to process a transaction. Um, and if, if privacy is a, a small part of, of private transactions, a small part of what your platform is doing, I imagine you're spending a lot of time trying to improve that, Z snake, uh, that ZK snark um, transaction time. Um, mm -hmm. Why focus on it at all if that is only a small part of your offering and a bigger part of your offering is um, all of the other products that you're working on? So is it, it so foundational that you need to? I think it's a small but extremely important part of what we're doing. Uh, and it is foundational to what we hope to do in the future. So it's more like setting a, a placeholder so that then we can use this technology in, say, smart contracts, use this technology, you know, across business systems that we integrate into, like, our sidechain platform that we're looking to build. Um, so there's a whole bunch of stuff that we want to do in the future for which this technology was just an excellent foundation. And we know that the, you know, the burden, of the, the computational burden of the technology is going to be collapsing over time. So, you know, it was kind of like, in the early days of the internet, you know that the internet was clunky. It's really slow with dial-up, but we know that the curve over time is you're going to have, you know, like we do today, fiber and other other ways to, you know, the, the technology that we have today would have been unthinkable 20 years ago, and we suspect that the same thing would happen with our technology. Fantastic. So, uh, do you have a sense of how many transactions are happening uh, in a day right now with Zen? I do, I do. I mean, I'd have to add it up. I, I was asked this before. I should probably have it offhand, but it's about fifteen to twenty second uh, transactions per block on average. Um, and you know, every block you know is every two and a half minutes. Yeah. So you could multiply that out. Yeah. So fair, a fair, uh, fair number for uh, yeah. a coin with a significant amount of promise. So I definitely want to uh, turn uh, a remainder of this conversation over to Savvy, and I definitely want to be a part of that conversation as well. But um, you know, I, I what I have been impressed with, um, and, and I've been involved in the crypto space and with with Bitcoin for for a while. But I absolutely love, um, and and I don't tote on coins that are not. 
Bitcoin very often, but um, how transparent you guys are. I have really enjoyed looking and diving into something that I've never looked at before, but seeing how involved your foundation is, um, how much community involvement you have, even on those bi-weekly updates, how many people you have on the line to give updates on what's going on internationally. I think that's a an excellent uh, business um, op approach to, to dealing with this and showing um, that there's a lot of involvement in the community. I thought that was an excellent uh, way of doing things from a business perspective. But at the same time, it showed a lot of transparency as well, talking about where you're going and what you're doing, giving percentages of how far projects are complete. So uh, not really a question, but kudos to you, Rob. I thought that was pretty badass. No, I, you know, thank you so much for saying that. I really appreciate it because it is very costly to do this. Sure. I mean, it's it's like we're giving a quarterly board review every two, <laughs> two weeks. weeks. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, every it felt weeks. that way. I, I mean, that was that was an hour long meeting. I, I really <laughs> exactly. like, we do an hour long exactly. podcast. It takes about three hours of prep time to do that hour long. Oh, uh, so it's a definitely an investment, about, but I think it's a good investment. Exactly. I, I have no doubt that it's a great investment. You may not get me to invest into Zen, but I certainly am appreciating what you're doing. <laughs> we we never want to, you know, encourage people to invest in Zen because we don't ever want to be a security. Yeah. So if you want to participate in the Zen network, that's a different story. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, I just had some uh, some questions about some of the other items on your roadmap. Um, you were talking about utilization of uh, Zen as a currency, but um, what kind of utilization of Zen Chat do you have? Very minimal. So Zen Chat is it's uh, a minimum viable product, an MVP that we put out there to really do proof of concept. So we 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 developed a messaging protocol using zk Snarks, and we we put together an MVP product. Uh, we haven't matured it since then. And realistically, what we're going to do is uh, we're, we're likely going to migrate this over to a side chain so that we don't have chat um, you know, going over the main network because that really could bog things down unnecessarily. Sure. But importantly, though, so this is a very clunky chat tool right now. And, and that's okay because really it's designed for people that really need or like really want like, true privacy in their communications. It's really not meant to replace WhatsApp anytime soon. Yeah. So do you have plans to push harder on that project and try and get wider adoption? And uh, and what would you tell users of like Signal or even people just using plain old PGP encrypted email? What are the advantages that ZenChat has over those uh, those other products? Yeah. I mean, the clear advantage is that we use zero knowledge cryptography so that every transaction that happens on our network, you can't tell whether it's a financial transaction or a messaging transaction. Um, for instance, when you download Signal or Telegram onto your phone, you're actually giving information to these companies. Um, they pull your contact lists right away. Um, so, you know, there still is metadata that's available on each of these chat apps, even though they're end-to-end -end encrypted. Uh, and e even that's coming into question. So, what we give is total privacy. Right? There's the only way for anyone to even get a hold of you is for you to communicate your kind of messaging ID to them or your your um, you know Z address. So it, it's pure pure privacy for those that really need it, maybe for the real paranoid. But for us, it's really a placeholder. And the way I differentiate these things is um, I, I have things in my head or in our, in our kind of future roadmap, but we don't really talk about them yet because uh, we, we want to be um, very, we don't like to hype things as a project. We're, we're, we try to be humble. And the only time we really talk about things is when we actually have um, in works plans to develop like a project plan and resource a project plan. So the things that you see on our roadmap right now, like on our Trello board, for instance, are things that we actually have scoped out uh, and resourced. And then like like the things that you guys mentioned, the biweekly update that we, we gave a, a couple of days ago, 
Um, those are the types of product projects we typically talk about because they're scoped, resourced, and we have uh, you know work to completion on them. So, but for sure, yes, a messaging app will come in our ecosystem, and I hope many messaging apps come because the way that we're designing this actually is we're building out a very generalizable sidechain system that we hope to have a lot of dApp developers building on top of. Um, so we'll probably put out, um, you know, and this is one thing is we're actually launching a for-profit company to be the first uh, company to start kind of initializing some of these apps um, in, in ways that may be for-profit, maybe not, maybe there's different types of hybrid profit models, but a messaging app will for sure be part of that, but we don't yet have it scoped. I don't imagine you're gonna be forming that uh, privacy chat business for-profit in Russia. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's for sure true. Okay. Yeah. Crush that off my list of questions. Right, exactly. <laughs> right. So I, I wanted to ask, I know you just said you guys don't talk about things that are too far out in the future, but um, I was curious because it had such a kind of prominent placement on, on your website is uh, Zenhide and the whole domain fronting thing. And yeah. on the white paper. And on the white yeah. paper, yeah. Um, so I, I was definitely curious about that because uh, I've been following along with yeah Signal and Telegram's issues in, in Russia yeah. and... Uh, and uh, all the problems that they've had, they've had to uh, change cloud providers or CDN providers multiple times because exactly. these avenues for domain fronting are uh, one by one getting shut down. So yeah. um, do you have current, uh, current cloud or CDN providers that you're partnering with? And do you expect those relationships to hold up? Yeah, th this is a great question. And thank you guys for pulling out the hard ones because I mean, this is something that um, we should clarify is, you know, we we went with this, our, our initial white paper and our initial vision was to include domain fronting into, into all of our nodes uh, through CDN providers. We started building this technology out and then realized that it really wasn't very effective. And as the CDNs were, you know, closing shop, it became less and less effective. So we decided to actually pivot. Uh, and we have, um, so the reason why we haven't taken it down from our website yet and from all of our documentation is because we actually have a really cool and I would say better um, solution that we're we're um, exploring right now privately, um, and we hope in the, ne the next couple of weeks to have an announcement of a project that would be under the Zenhide banner. It wouldn't necessarily; it, it's for sure not going to be domain fronting, but it's another obfuscating technique for for data to, you know, uh, flow over the web. Are you, uh, are you willing in this very private podcast uh, to share a little uh, sneak peek of what that may be? Oh, man, my, my, my GC would kill me if I did that. So, But, but we I won't mean, tell him if you won't. So. <laughs> yeah. I guarantee you he will be listening to every word of this because of the topic. He's Yeah, we, we should have had him here. Dean's an amazing guy as well. He, he would be much more eloquent than me as well in explaining all of the stuff. So, so you're saying Zenhide will likely be coming off in the way that it's written in your white paper and on the website, but we can expect something in the future that may basically provide the same services, but just in a different way. Right, exactly, exactly. So, and this is one of the things where, you know, we were very idealistic and optimistic when we launched. And of course, it's like what we call it, you know, like my, I, first half of my career was in the military, and this is like the fog of war. As soon as the bullets start flying and, you know, the shells start coming in, plans change. Uh, and this is exactly what happened with us. You know, we, we had a best, fit, best a good faith effort to explore the, you know, the CDN domain fronting route, and it just didn't work out. Um, so now we, we have the option. We're at the, the point where we can either you know call it quits on the, on Zenhide or pivot. And I think the pivot option is going to be pretty amazing. 
Very good. So um, one of the, and we don't have a, a whole lot here uh, left, Rob, but just a couple other points want to uh, basically cover, and we, uh, we definitely want to be respectful of your time as well. Um, tell us a little bit about your decision to remain on the uh, Equihash algorithm, especially after this 51% attack. Sure. I mean, it comes down to priority number one being network security. I mean, we just went through a, a 51% attack a few months ago. So the, the, the idea of kicking off a whole bunch of hash power from our network that's being provided by ASICs just didn't make sense. Um, and, it, and, and I guess the point that we're trying to make to the community is we are already working on a massively decentralized mining uh, mechanism through a, a block DAG um, protocol upgrade. So the block DAG was always our long-term vision for how we're going to decentralize hash power, always. And we're 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 very, we're maturing very nicely on that project. So it's not like we're doing nothing to decentralize mining. It's just right now, and particularly until we have this 51% mitigation code going to mainnet, you know, securing our network is priority number one, and we can't compromise on that. Fantastic. And do you uh, do you have any idea now uh, what? the percentage of hash power on your network is uh, coming from ASICs? Uh, so I don't have that breakout, um, but the really good statistic is uh, you can no longer rent enough hash power on services like NiceHash to 51% attack us. So we've grown sufficiently beyond that, so it's not even a, th that's not um, a threat vector anymore. Yeah, I, I, I saw that on your website, uh, I believe yesterday, and uh, you said there was enough for 50%, but not 51%. That seems like it's uh, cutting it a little close there. Oh, so I didn't even see that. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I didn't even see that, but I, the last I checked like a week ago or so, it, it was, it was better than that <laughs> so well let's hope yeah. no miners that uh, that are yeah. currently mining zen want to come commit a 51 percent attack because you remove <laughs> right, one or seriously. two asics you're gonna have you may be cutting a little slim um yeah well very good i uh i don't know rob that we have um that anything else other than um you know kicking a little bit and finding out when we're gonna get an invite to come crash to your pad in milan um <laughs> consider it done <laughs> yeah yeah just let me know my wife and i are going to marseille for six weeks next year and uh um, I'm super pumped up about that, but um, yeah, that's that's too far away, man. Milan sounds a whole lot more attractive than all that sun and that heat. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, I I got here last. Actually, this is still the end of my first week here, and I'm absolutely loving it. Very good, very good. Well, um, I, we appreciate your time. We appreciate you uh, spending and being so free with it. Uh, I know that we've been going for almost 50 minutes here. But um, is there anything else that you think that we should have asked that we didn't that you feel like we should know? I mean, you know, the the thing that I always like to plug at the end is if anyone listening to this is interested in the project, just come to Horizon.Global. And what's really important to us is become an active member of the community, right? I mean, you can come and just check us out or whatnot and kind of you know, join our newsletter and get information. But it's even better if you become active and really participate and let us know what you want to see. Absolutely. Well, again, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. And um, in the event that um, you feel like we should have asked something or something else um, explodes or our podcast suddenly gets 100,000 listeners or subscribes <laughs> uh, an episode, we'll be sure to have you back on. Cool. Please do. Thank you very much, guys. Appreciate it, Rob. Cheers. So that's our show. I want to make sure that you tune in next week when we discuss Basic Attention Token. Thanks again for joining. We really hope you've enjoyed discovering a little bit of information about uh, Horizon that you may not have known. Feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at Initial Legal. Thanks for listening.